Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad Anul Polat. This is going to be a short but fact-filled episode of the podcast because today I have Dr. Saba Gorab, who joins me as a guest, answer all of your questions about blocked ears and flying and all that irritation that can happen in your ears and your sinuses. It's been something I've written about in the past. It's a controversial topic. Yep, it is a controversial topic, but I wanted to have an expert on to uh, explain like how, why does that feeling occur and how, how can we kind of get rid of it? And uh, for those of you who are listening right now, in a few hours, if you are early in the podcast train, there's also going to be a video clip as well where Dr. Gorob's cat makes an appearance. But just to give you some background, she is a board certified and fellowship trained in Oto, oh man, I practiced this so much and I can still barely say it. Autolaryngology. Auto, auto, auto laryngology, which is a head and which is head and neck surgery, also known as ENT, ear, nose, and throat, not to be confused with EMT, which, you know, idiots like me often do. But uh, she's an expert on ear, nose, and throat, I thought uh, she would be a great person to ask, hey, what happens when your ears are blocked? Why does that occur? If I hold my nose and I blow really hard, am I going to blow out my eardrums? Well, we get into all of that and we talk about sea and land sickness as well. So um, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. I think it's really enlightening uh, that she gives a lot of great advice on, on just how to prepare for a flight. Also, we talk a little bit about whether or not that feeling is inevitable. Do your ears inevitably have to get blocked and stay blocked? Some people are more prone to it than others. I did not know that. I thought everybody's ears get really badly blocked when they fly, but apparently that's not the case. So if you are under that misconception as well, well, I got news for you. There are some ways to uh, prepare yourself to have less discomfort in the sky. So without any more of me rambling, here's my interview with Dr. Saba Gora. All right, so thank you again for for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to talk to you because a couple years, well, many years ago, I heard of somebody destroying or blowing out their eardrum. So mm -hmm. I want to know when we get on a plane, what is that annoying sensation that we have in our ear? And why does it not go away immediately as soon as we're on the ground again? So I guess to answer that question, I'm just going to start with describing the anatomy of our kind of ear, nose, and throat, just to give you, just to help connect the dots. So essentially, we have our external ears, and then the ear canal, and then an eardrum, and then beyond the eardrum is what's called the middle ear space. Then beyond that, it's the inner ear. So then the middle ear space is connected to the back of our nose and throat, uh, via a tube called a eustachian tube. And this tube is a tube that is, um, can be collapsed shut, it can open, it can just, it can, it's very dynamic depending on what's happening in our atmospheric pressure. So when we are just day to day hanging out and our eustachian tubes healthy, normal, we don't have any other diseases or sources of inflammation in the head and neck region, the eustachian tube will open and close. <clears throat> and what that'll do is it'll equalize the pressure in the middle of your space accordingly. So that's healthy, that's normal. What happens with, and I apologize, uh, what happens with um, 
flying though is the as you know the cabin pressure i apologize i have a very cute cat that wants to be part of this conversation um so what happens is when we fly though as you know the plane is taking off and uh the cabin pressure will decrease when the cabin pressure decreases that middle ear space pressure is now higher than the cabin pressure so what needs to happen is that eustachian tube needs to open and let some of the pressure out and then we're again in equalization same with descension so when we descend uh there's a descent then the pressure decreases it, i'm sorry the pressure in the cabin increases so decreases in the middle ear space again if that eustachian tube opens and lets that equalization happen we're good and you in mentioning the person who blew out the eardrum or uh, had issues with it there are people who have just dysfunction of the eustachian tube and this may be since they're a little kid they just have a hard time opening and closing or they have a source of inflammation in the nose throat ears that is ongoing. Uh, most frequently that you see this with folks who have seasonal allergies or if they have a cold at that time, they may have a hard time opening and closing because that eustachian tube lining is very swollen and inflamed. So dysfunction happens because we can't equalize. Um, that is the path though, I guess the background of physiology of what happens, what should happen, and then the sensations we get when it doesn't work the pressure equalization, you feel everything from uh, a sense of fullness, clogged ears, feeling like you're underwater, um, pain, um, you know, just like, uh, just a general, like almost that it's disorienting because you feel like you can't hear as well and you just kind of feel off. Um, and if you know that happens to you, there are a few things you can do. Um, including uh, treating really, and if you know you have allergies or you know you have a cold, making sure you're treating it before you even get on that plane. Um, if you don't have allergies and you're not sick and it still continues to happen to you, a few things you can do. The act of yawning or chewing gum is an easy one. Oh, you know you're about to take off or land, start chewing gum. When you chew gum, when you yawn, when you eat, and all of those acts it open and closes, it actually opens the eustachian tube. So that'll help you just chewing gum. Um, other things that are helpful are, um, again, treating the inflammation. So if you know you have allergies, treat, do what your doctor tells you for allergies. If you have a cold, treat your cold. And then lastly, what I have my patients do is uh, get a decongestant spray. You can take pills like Sudafed, but that tends to stay in your system and, you know, make you not sleep well and so forth. So a spray just works just as well, but it's just local. So about 10, 15 minutes before you take off, a decongestant spray um, with phenylephrine or neosinephrine, like Afrin's a brand name people often know. You take that squirt in each nostril, maybe two, three sprays each nostril, about 10, 15 minutes before you take off. That'll help decongest all the tissues, including the opening of the eustachian tube all the way in the back of the nose. And so you have a better equalization. Same with landing, maybe 10, 15 minutes before you land, you do the same thing. So those are some, some treatment options that tend to work well. Now, it's my understanding you don't want to force the issue. In other words, when you land to hold your nose and just blow as hard as you can, which I see a lot of people, they get off a plane, they start doing that. Yeah. Is that is that really bad or is that not recommended? It actually is recommended. So when, and I'll just kind of go over what happens. So, I, you, so you take a breath in, pitch your nose and not let air out and you close your mouth. But then 
you blow. So if you can't blow through the mouth or the nose, what you're going to do is you're going to blow through the eustachian tube. You're going to force it to open and then blow that air into the middle ear spaces. And that tends to happen. People tend to need to do that when they are um, landing because as I mentioned, the cabin pressure is high, the middle ear pressure is low. So you need more air in there and the eustachian tube has collapsed. So by doing pinching nose, closing mouth, blowing, you blow air into the middle of your space. Now, I say that with the caveat of there's always too much force <laughs> that can be applied to really anything in life, right? So you do that. And if you can't, if you try it and you can't pop your ears, it's not working, you got to stop. In a few minutes, try again try again. And so I tell folks, like, do it like 10 times, maybe every hour. If you have that sensation of clogged underwater feeling, keep doing it, you know, 10 times an hour. And as time goes on, you start to equalize. But if you're blowing and you're like set on getting it fixed right away, you could theoretically overdo it, blow so much air that you rupture the eardrum on the other end. Yeah, that's, that's happened. <laughs> I know someone that happened to, so it made me wonder if maybe so it seems like it's a measure of like intensity or, you know, not yeah. to overdo it. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of like uh, it, it's when you blow, when you pop your ears, which I'm not sure if you've done, it's not really a good feel. It doesn't feel so great. Even when you have normal functioning, you station to, it just feels awkward. So it doesn't necessarily have to feel great when you do it, but if it's not going, it's not happening, you don't just leave it alone. Um, and I see this with folks who also get, you know, ear infections, because after an ear infection, there's residual fluid that hangs out in the middle of your space, and they can sense it. It's that sense of fullness or being underwater. And I tell people start popping ears, because when you pop your ears, and you open the eustachian tube, some of that fluid starts to drain into the back of your throat and nose. So but again, as people's uh, colds progress, and they get or ear infections are improving, they start to uh, notice a difference more and more. Like when they pop it, they hear like a crackling, like immediately can sense a relief. Um, so it gets easier and easier to do as it as time goes on. So if you, it's not working, just don't keep pushing it. <laughs> so what is then if that doesn't work, it's been, let's say an hour and your ears still clogged, what would you recommend? Or is it a waiting game? Or is there something you can do uh, to help? A little bit of both. There's definitely a waiting game. Um, and then the measures I mentioned doing during the flight, you could continue like chewing gum or yawning because just again, that'll keep opening it. Uh, you can use that uh, decongestant spray for several days before it becomes an issue because uh, ironically enough, those decongestant sprays can be addictive. And uh, after a few days, you build tolerance and then you need more and more of it. And then next thing you know, it does the opposite, just like any other addiction, it doesn't work for you anymore. And then you get more congested and then use more of it. So it could be a slippery road. But if you use it for two, three days at a time, you're not going to run into that issue. So you can continue to use the decongestant spray um, in the hours to days after a flight or air travel. Um, you know, you could do it every couple hours, twice a day, however you like, um, just keep the inflammation low if there is any. Um, and that should help. And you can continue to pop, try popping ears every, you know, say five to 10 times an hour um, until you start to have relief and you feel better. And for me, like I'll have it for days and I'm just lazy and I'll just, you know what, forget it. I'll let it figure itself out. Is there anything bad about doing that? I mean, does it, is there any harm if it just yeah. feels weird? Yeah, just a weird feeling. I think in, if you, if this, it doesn't happen to you 
every time you fly? Every time, yeah. Do you, I mean, I guess I'm asking you a personal medical question <laughs> you don't have to answer one, but- That's fine. <laughs> if, do you have allergies? Uh, yeah, pretty much, yeah, I, I do. Do you treat them? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, that's where it, it's important. Uh, I mean, even if you take an oral antihistamine, uh, like Zyrtec, Allegra, those are some brand names, Claritin, the generics are just as good, um, or use a steroid spray in your nose consistently before you know you have a big, you know, flight or travel, uh, travel coming up. If you start to treat your allergies well in advance, and hopefully just all the time, because you'll feel better, sleep better, et cetera. If you're treating your allergies, then you have optimized your nose, throat, your station tube to have the least amount of inflammation possible. And then that afrin or decongestant spray can be your add-on that you use during before and after flights. Um, and and I, I would hope that you'd feel better. But if you don't do anything about it and just leave it alone, what will happen is inevitably you'll start to open the eustachian tube as you yawn, eat, chew, um, and you will equalize it. But so no, it doesn't hurt to just leave it alone. And you know, you bring up something that I didn't think about before, but where does the air in the eustachian tube come out of? Does it come out of your ear or your nose or where does it go so so if you were to look at me my imagine my middle ear and then imagine the back of my nose and throat right it's like the there's a tube that goes like that so there's an end on and that opens into the middle ear space and the other end that opens immediately as you when you go back into the nose and it starts to become the throat the nasopharynx it opens the openings are into the back so both so this tube connects the two spaces which is why uh, little kids, they tend to get a lot of ear infections after they get a cold because this eustachian tube in kids, they tend to be shorter and flatter. Um, and so bacteria and bugs can travel, you know, from the throat and nose and go into the ears and cause ear infections. As we get older, they become more vertical and longer and gravity helps us so we don't get ear infections as adults. So we're getting off topic a little bit, but um, the eustachian tube essentially does both it opens and blows air in and out of the ear as well as the back of the nose and throat interesting so i guess all those crying babies they they have a point right it probably <laughs> bothers them a lot more they do your infections are such an issue in little kids thankfully we grow out of them with time and you know just physically getting bigger and is the you know is that air which um i i know the air the, the air the ear is you know, involved in balance. Mm -hmm. So is that why we have this phenomenon too after a flight or especially on a boat, you feel that bouncy feeling a couple hours or sometimes mm -hmm. a couple days after? Is it related to that air pocket or is that something different that's happening? Potentially, potentially. So the our sense of motion or our sense of balance and spatial orientation is affected by several systems um, in our body that then sends signals to the brain. So the ears are one of them, particularly the inner ears. The inner ears have structures that can sense um, accelerations or movement, both rotational movement as well as linear movement. Um, so that's the inner ear and they, can, they have this ability to sense it. Those sense, sensory organs may be affected by issues with the middle ear space with, you know, the air trapping or the eustachian tube dysfunction. It could be affected by ear infection. It could be affected by anything that's wrong with the whole, the ear from 
external to in, internal part. So it can be then, you know, not working as well. The second system that's in place are, are our eyes. So uh, when we see motion, whether we're looking at water moving or we're physically looking out the window of a moving car and see motion or we're looking inside the car and think nothing's moving, that's another sensory system. Lastly, it's our musculoskeletal system. So if I turn my head, uh, you know, my, the muscles, the sensory, the bones, everything, there's signals being sent to the brain saying I moved. So when the brain gets signals from the musculoskeletal system, the ears and the eyes, it puts it all together and makes sense of what's happening to us spatially, that we're moving, we're still, et cetera. When there is a dysfunction or the signal is being sent to the brain and it just doesn't make sense altogether, uh, that's when then we feel off or have a sense of disequilibrium or feel dizzy or you know just just feel wobbly and so forth. Um, so if you have a eustachian tube dysfunction because of underlying inflammation, et cetera, you could very well put yourself at a greater risk of experiencing land sickness or the the you know feeling um, having a balance issue after uh, boat trip or uh, air travel, et cetera, you could, you, could, you could be at a higher risk because one of the three systems is just uh, uh, has a problem. Um, so that's, that certainly you could have more of an issue with balance after traveling because of the years. Uh, alternatively, you may have a perfectly working system, all of them, and yet still feel off. And it's because say I'm in a car with you and um, my ears know that we're moving. My inner ears, those, those organs know that we're moving. Um, and yet I'm looking at you and you're static in the car and you're not moving. So my eyes are like, nothing's moving. What are you talking about? So then it sends uh, different signals to the brain and then your brain's confused. And that's when you start to have dysfunction. So there doesn't have to be an actual problem with all of these systems. It could just be that our perception is skewed or not consistent across the different systems. And I'm guessing, you know, for most people, when you get back to land or, you know, things return to normal, it, it evens out after a few hours, sometimes a day. Mm -hmm. But I, I came across this, uh, I, wrote, I have to look up how you pronounce mal de embarkment syndrome. I'm going to just mm -hmm. say it like that. And that's yeah. seems like uh, something that people can experience this for months or years after. Is that is that true? I mean, it is true, and, and it's interesting because you often hear that it's rare, but uh, I've also come across literature saying, is it really rare or are we just misdiagnosing these people? Just because in the world of balance uh, disorders or vestibular disorders, there are just so many things, so many diagnoses that I'm not even going to get into just because it's a very complex topic. But um, malde debarkment um, syndrome essentially it's the same concept. It's, you know, after you have had some sort of motion, passive motion, and typically it's more of a boat, you know, or cruise ship, et cetera, a sort of motion, that's your exposure. Then usually after you're off that vessel um, and within 48 hours after that exposure has ended, you start to experience um, non spinning vertigo that's how they say the textbook but essentially what they mean is it's a sense of 
disequilibrium. I like that word better than even dizzy. Dizzy can be a confusing word to use. It's just feeling like you're bobbing or swaying or rocking, just like you're kind of on a boat, you know? Um, and this can, you know, last for a couple of days. Usually it's pretty normal for it to last if it lasts two days, up to two days, it's it can happen in the healthiest of adults. And is, is just because, again, those three systems are giving different uh, sensory input to the brain and the brain is confused. So within a few days, one, if you just go back to normal, then you're done. But in folks with this uh, disease, it goes on and it goes on pretty much continuously every day, most of the day and varying severity, but it goes on for months to years. Um, and the diagnosis is, uh, it, it's it, you, if you do all sorts of vestibular testing or imaging of your brain, you're not gonna find it. The way you diagnose it is the clinical history. It's typically women in their 40s to 50s, there may be some sort of hormonal shift, maybe they're perimenopausal, maybe it's right before their menses start. Um, there may be other psychological or physical factors under, you know, maybe they're particularly stressed, they're ill, etc. So just some, just kind of things that just kind of prime them to get this. Um, and, and then you, they have this these symptoms that last more have now been ongoing for over a month. And that's just, you know, it's another check off uh, the diagnosis list. And then lastly, um, when they are, when they repeat or get back into say a boat and have that passive motion resume, they feel better. Uh, they feel better, but the minute they get off the boat, they're gonna get a rebound of their symptoms. So that's the, that's the very unique features that they get, they feel better when whatever caused them to have an issue is, you know, repeated. Um, and it, it may, again, take up to years to stop, and you may have more than one episode in your lifetime. Typically, the, the rule is try not to repeat what set it off. Like, so if it was a cruise you went on for a week, don't do it again. Just you, maybe a short, you know, drive will make you feel better, but don't get on enough because you may have each time you have a subsequent episode that sets you off for months to years, they tend to be longer and less likely to just resolve spontaneously. So it's, it's again, a unique disease entity that it's vague and can be misdiagnosed and mistaken for many other um, vestibular disorders that I typically see in my clinic. And uh, it's not something that's really high on your list of differential as a clinician. So it was a good thing for me to also read a little bit more about uh, in, in anticipation of today's discussion. So I guess wrapping it all up, going, start with the blowing your nose to clear out your ears. Is there a point where you should see a doctor? In other words, what's the point, you know, how do I know that, that I may have just damaged my eardrum or this pain is lasting for a couple of days? Is there, you know, a point or something that is, you know, go to doctor? Yeah, I would say that if you are someone who has repeated episodes, and they last a while, or they, you feel like it never fully goes away, you should see a doctor. If you know you have an underlying issue, or you know you keep getting you know, congested, and you think you have allergies, you're not sure, you want someone to look, certainly go. In the case of rupturing the eardrum, that's a very painful experience, and typically then accompanied by bleeding from the ear or discharge coming out of the ear. So you'll definitely know and you want someone to look at that. And not to mention, uh, it may affect your hearing. So 
all of those, anything like when you have persistent ringing or you feel like you can't hear even outside of these episodes, something is off with the system. It keeps happening. It hasn't gone away. It's worthwhile to see it. You're just your primary care doctor and then an ENT specialist. Because what I would do if I saw it at a exam in New Year's, I have good understanding of the anatomy and I can tell if your ear drum looks abnormal, if the middle of your space looks abnormal. A lot of times when the ear drum is really sucked in, it's because there's a lot of negative pressure in that space. I can see that just by examining you. If I'm concerned that there's an underlying issue, I can certainly get a CT scan or MRI of your uh, ear structures as well as your um, brain. Um, and I have the ability to send you for hearing tests as well as balance testing. So in doing all that, I can give you a better sense of what's happening and what you need to do to hopefully prevent and treat the symptoms so that you can you know, feel better all around uh, and certainly while traveling. And when it comes to the bouncy feeling, the I guess it's not a syndrome, right? After a couple of days, but when, you know, when should somebody or should somebody see a doctor, you know, it's been three, four, maybe a week, and you still feel that bouncy feeling after a cruise. Is there a point to go see a, see a doctor? Yeah. Um, it would be in a situation like that. You have to also look at yourself as a whole person and be like, am I sick? Have I been hydrating? Am I even sleeping? Am I just like really, you know, sleep deprived and delirious because I'm traveling or have a lot of pressures? Um, do I have another illness also going on that could be affecting my whole, you know, all my systems? So if you have other things that are just glaringly obviously wrong or an issue, start treating them. And if you don't feel better, then really, I, I there is no time threshold or just kind of like you've crossed this line. Now go in, go in when you feel like you are no, can't handle it, really bothered by the symptoms, it's not improving. Um, it's staying the same or getting worse. Um, and you've done everything you're supposed to do or you, the conservative uh, treatment measures we discussed, you've tried all that and it's not improving at all, uh, then go in. It's, it's definitely, it doesn't hurt to get a professional to take a look and give you reassurance if uh, not anything else. Well, I, I appreciate your time again, doctor. It's been very fascinating. I've learned a few things. I've, you know, I feel like a couple of misconceptions that we've kind of cleared up um, yeah. about this and hopefully it helps people uh, treat their ears better or at least understand yeah. these sensations that they're going through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's been my pleasure and I am happy to um, answer any of the questions your audience may have in the future. Thanks Sweet. for having me. Anytime. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Gorab, for sharing your expertise with us. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We've got a lot of new episodes coming up. And if you're listening at this point, that means you are a super fan. You have gotten to the end of the podcast. Don't forget to leave five stars wherever you're listening to the Fox Nomad podcast, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, on whatever device, wherever you are listening to this right now, head over and give the podcast five stars and a short positive review, uh, you know, negative review too, I guess, if you don't like it. But if you've been listening this long, I, I guess you like the podcast. But uh, anyway, it really helps get the, the word out about the podcast. And we've been hitting records this year already. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, and uh, there's still a couple more hours with a $100 giveaway. So be sure to check out the last episode for details on that. And finally... I hope you have a great rest of your day and I'll talk to you in the next episode.